I've got plenty to be thankful for. I need the small, I buy them all at the five and ten cent store. Oh, I've got plenty to be thankful for. I used to love this town. Until what happened that night. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and I'm tired of pretending like everything is normal and it's not. I want things to go back to normal, too. Show some enthusiasm. Thanksgiving is an institution here. Thanksgiving table. I don't want to spend my life looking over my shoulder. We need to stop him. It is going to be a very happy Thanksgiving. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What is up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, turkey stuffers. I don't stuff my turkey. I tend to leave that cavity empty, but that's just me. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? <laughs> doing well. It feels like we were just in, like, October Halloween season, and now it's like we're in the week of Thanksgiving, like... I, I don't know how it was possible for November to go by quicker than October, but it, it's happening. Um, exactly. <laughs> and also, uh, uh, but before we move on, I do want to give an apology to the listeners. Uh, obviously, any of our regular listeners, you noticed that we didn't do an episode last week. That's 100% on me. Unfortunately, uh, there was a little bit of a change at my job, and my department was liquidated, so I lost my job last week, and that was that was literally the exact day that we were going to record our It's a Wonderful Knife review. Unfortunately, you know, after that happens, I'm obviously not in the right mindset to talk about a horror film. Um, so unfortunately, you know, we had to take the week off. Um, so again, I just want to apologize to everyone. We are going to go ahead and end this episode with a very brief review of the movie that we missed last week, in case anyone is still interested in our thoughts on that one, as that one is also a theatrical release. So, you know, if you, if you want our opinion on whether it's worth your horror dollars, you know, stick around till the end of the show. But yeah. Like I said, I just want to go ahead and apologize because that is 100% on me that we missed last week. Yeah, and uh, this one happened 
to where, like Venom said, we it was beyond planning stages. We had all we had all seen it. We were all prepared to talk about it. So it was just life circumstances. So that's why we decided uh, to just kind of tack it on to this episode because sometimes things will come up before, like any of us have watched a movie, and we'll just either skip it entirely or switch to something else. But since we all actually did watch it and planned pretty much up to the last second to to do an episode on it, we just figured out ah, we'll, we'll still mention it. Um, and because we're a weekly show, sometimes our our recordings, uh, if one gets postponed, it'll line up really close to the next one. And the funny thing is, Venom, that you mentioned that, um, I had actually went to uh, make like an announcement post on the group page about what was going on. And I, I went to make it from uh, my phone and I hit post and I put my phone down assuming like it posts like usual. And then like later that day or maybe the next day, um, I grab my phone and I open the app and it's like, oh, unable to make, unable to post. I was like, what? Oh, shit. And then by that time we were so close to this re- episode recording. I was like, eh, we can, yeah. I'll just announce it on the, on the, on the next episode. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't even think I uh, introduced Don yet. What's up, Don? How you doing? What's up, guys? All right. There you go, little. There you go, guy. Thanks for the. Oh, whoops. Sorry. No, I was grabbing my dog's chew toy. I guess I can give it back to her now. I thought you actually had a turkey there. You were going to let him back outside or something. Oh, no, that's just, uh, that's my dog's uh, Thanksgiving turkey um, toy. Very nice. <laughs> All right, yeah, well, yeah. Get that back to her. <laughs> well, it's pretty apt that I mentioned that we're so close to Thanksgiving because uh, we actually have a literal Thanksgiving-themed release this week that was in theaters. It is Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, and if you know anyone were, was familiar with uh, the Grindhouse movies that released back in the day, Eli Roth and Robert Rodriguez, there were some uh, mock or fake trailers made, and one of them was Thanksgiving by Eli Roth, and there was always like uh, a hope from horror fans that hey, you should actually make a movie out of it. I think that was like the one standout trailer. Um, that yeah, that I kind of like the werewolf one. one. The I, Nazi- I, the yeah, Nazi I thought that one was, one was fun. Too. I was always I, about I, Machete. <laughs> I love Machete. <laughs> yeah, Machete was Machete was great. I, I did like that one too. But I mean, I always thought the Werewolf one would get of of release. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me too. I, I thought all those trailers were good. So, yeah. So what? We're what a decade later, or more than a decade later? I can't remember what exactly. Yeah, I've heard at least like. I've heard that at least like 10, 12 years because it's 2007. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, well in advance, <laughs> uh, advanced years later that uh, it finally happened. We have our Thanksgiving full-length feature. Uh, Eli Roth uh, was retained as director. Good. Probably a good sign, good thing. And uh, we have a synopsis off IMDb. After a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, Mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. All right, so we're going to get our general thoughts uh, on Thanksgiving, beginning with Venom. What did you think of Eli Roth's Thanksgiving? 
All right. Well, I am about to make a bold statement that if anyone who really, really knows me personally, it probably won't be that big a shock to you. But to a lot of horror fans and listeners to this show, I I might blow your brains right now. So here we go. Thanksgiving is the first Eli Roth movie that I liked. Yes, I know. I understand what you're you're all groaning out there. I'm sure you're all screaming, what about Cabin Fever? What about Hostel? What about The Green Inferno? And ultimately, I don't hate any Eli Roth film. I you know, I'm not saying he's a bad director or that he's you know, doesn't know what he's doing or anything like that. Not at all. It's just he's one of those directors that's really really overhyped. I remember the marketing campaign for Cabin Fever and people were, you know, practically talking about it as the second coming of horror. And then I saw it in the theater and I thought it was okay at best. Okay. Same thing with Hostel. Hostel gets this big marketing campaign, you know, people passing out and vomiting in the aisles at the screeners, blah, blah, blah. I go to see it. I don't know what the hell anybody's talking about. Um, So, like I said, I don't dislike Eli Roth. I've just, his films don't do much for me. Even the Green Inferno, which was one that I was actually very excited to see, we don't get the gore <laughs> that I really want to see in a jungle cannibal movie. You know, we, you know, we get like one great scene in that film, and that's about it. Anyway, enough of my rant about Eli Roth. I don't dislike the man. I just have never really enjoyed any of his movies. But guess what, my friends? That streak is over because I thoroughly enjoyed Thanksgiving. This was a great film. In the sense that the story is not original by any stretch of the imagination. We've all seen this before. You know, someone gets wronged on a holiday, and then on a future holiday, they go on a killing spree. It's, you know, we've seen it before. We'll definitely see it again. But what's different here is the execution. This is such a fun movie. There are some fun, likable characters in here. There's some nice, hateable characters in here, too, so you still get your guilty pleasure kills. But, man, some of these kills, especially, you know, and I'm coming at this from the context of a big-budget Hollywood horror film. These kills were great. These were these are not the kind of kills that we usually get in the cinema, you know, from, from Hollywood. It's just not the kind of thing we generally get. And when framed around a competent story with a good director, good editing, good score, good performances. Like, I, I didn't hate anyone in this movie as far as their acting goes, um, and you know, their performances, anything like that. Uh, maybe McCarty was a little over the top, but, you know, that's a mild complaint, honestly. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I saw this movie twice this weekend. I only intended on watching it once because, again, it's an Eli Roth film, and I was anticipating another underwhelming Eli Roth film, but walking out of the theater the first time, I had an ear-to-ear grin on my face, had a blast with every minute of this movie. You know, obviously there's going to be some slower scenes. The movie actually starts out pretty slow before we actually get to the carnage of that original Thanksgiving um, you know, event that happens during the cold open. But um, once it gets there, man, it's, it was well worth the wait. You know, some of the early kills definitely take you by surprise. And then as the movie goes along, the kills, you know, they get more intense. Uh, the motivation of the killer starts to get, a, you know, clearer. I also love that this movie is solidly a murder mystery. Yes, it is a slasher film, but just like movies like Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer – you know, we get a solid 
slasher style murder mystery. I know, I know Miss Lacey Lou is incredibly happy about that, but especially for me, I love murder mysteries as much as Miss Lacey Lou, you know, stuff like, and there were one and murder by death are some of my favorite films ever. And I can throw Thanksgiving, maybe not in that conversation as one of my favorites ever, but when we're talking about Thanksgiving themed horror, this one's going to be up there. This one probably, you know, solidly jumped up to my top five after a couple of viewings. Um, I, I'm not sure what else I can say that's fairly spoiler-free. Um, as I said, great kills, great score, great direction, great editing, um, good chase sequences. I mean, just overall, good. even the um, uh, set design. We had great set design with the John Carver house and then the school there. Um, I do have some questions that the movie kind of left me with, which I will uh, ask my co-hosts as we go through our spoiler section. But, yeah, I'm going to say this was definitely a big surprise for me, not just because it's a big-budget Hollywood movie based around a holiday, and generally those don't always do it for me, but on top of that, the fact that it's being directed by someone who I always thought has been a slightly overhyped director, maybe getting a few more accolades than I personally would think he deserves. But I also know that he, you know, the horror community loves the man, and I'm not going to take anything away from that. He knows his horror. He's a historian. And for that, I'll definitely give him um, his props. And But at least I can finally say I like an Eli Roth movie, so. I'm going to leave my general thoughts right there and say that, yeah, this is a high recommend for me. I think you should see this in theaters. There's some great images, some cool iconography here that you need to see on the big screen. And just overall, just a really, really fun movie for, you know, horror fanatics like us. So I'll leave it at that. Brandon, what about Hostel 2? I enjoyed Hostel 2 more than the first Hostel, but it, it you know... To say whether I liked it, like, you know, like is a strong word. You know, <laughs> Some people say love is a strong word. To me, to, for me to say that I like something means that I'm willing to rewatch it pretty much any time. And I just can't say that about any Eli Roth movie. I'm not necessarily saying that I regret the time that I've spent with his movies. Like I said, I don't necessarily hate any of them. I just think that most of them are underwhelming. That's all. Um, you know, please don't send me hate mail, uh, you know, from all you Eli Roth lovers. I respect you, and I definitely respect the man, as I said, as a horror historian. That can't be taken away from him. But now I can say that I like one of his movies. So, you know, I'm kind of giddy right now. I'm, I'm in a really good mood that I finally got a Eli Roth movie that I enjoyed beginning to end. So, <laughs> All right. I'll kick it over to Don. What are your general thoughts on Thanksgiving? Uh, yeah, um, I'm right there with a lot of this. Um, I, I'm also not uh, a huge Eli Roth fan. Cabin Fever is fine, but I, I think it's too in love playing um, Homage Fest to really do anything um, original that it thinks it does. Hostels, just uh, uh, underwhelming until we finally get to the gore, which is great, but it means we have to spend a bunch of time with irritable, hateable douchebags. Ah! Two's better, but I, I'm, I'm still not completely sold on it because it's just, you know, a retread of the originals with the gender swapped and uh, nobody hateable. And other than that, uh, Green Inferno, yeah, not really that much there to it. Um, yeah, Knock Knock, uh, Suspense Thriller more than anything. Um, 
decent idea, but uh, I, I don't really have much time for it. Um, house at the end of the, you know, house with the clock in its walls. Uh, you know, Kitty Fair, uh, better than I expected, but not really that much going for it other than, otherwise. So, yeah, um, I, I was kind of surprised that, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I absolutely love this. Um, it, it feels a little weird to go 90s horror after the 70s, 80s influenced trailer, which, I mean, I know that that's not, uh, it's not something that I should really hold the film against, but it's just more of an interesting comment as, you know, the, the 70s, 80s uh, trailer that the original is based on is now uh, a 90s teen slasher. So, yeah, it, it is a little bit of a, you know, a little jarring thing that you have to get used to. But otherwise, I had a ton of fun with this. I, I think the opening setup is fantastic. I, I love the Black Friday, uh, you know, massacre, or, you know, I, I really shouldn't say massacre because that's not really the type of term that it's appropriate there. But, um the incidents um, probably would fit a little bit better there. I, I thought that was great. Uh, the, the motivation ties in, although um, that could be one of my main flaws is that it, it it does feel a little underwhelming in the grand scheme of things. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah, uh, the kills are great. The stalking scenes are fun. Uh, the mystery is uh, pretty well built up. Uh, Great job, too, because there's uh, multiple red herrings that uh, are plausible, and they have uh, perfect opportunities to make them the killer. Um, I, I will say I didn't see the killer coming just because I think, you know, like I said, the connection to the Black Friday thing is a little underwhelming. But otherwise, yeah, um, I, I had fun. Um, I, I will say that I, I do find the finale um, as well a little underwhelming just because it leaves few, uh, a few too many survivors. Um, I, I figure that there would have been more knocked off. Um, we have, I think, what, four or five victims that show up at the end uh, that managed to get away unscathed, which that's kind of high for a slasher film. Um, <laughs> especially since one of the weird things is that it, it brings up this love triangle and then leaves all of the victims alive. So, like, did it get resolved? Is you know that 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 just felt really weird to me. But yeah, other than that, I I don't have too many complaints. Uh, you know, it's slick, it's fun, it's glossy, it's got you know all great kills, uh, some fantastic stalking scenes. Maybe the mask is a little goofy looking, but I mean, you you know you get used to it after a while. And uh, yeah, other than that, I, I don't have too many complaints. Um, in terms of a Thanksgiving or, you know, holiday set genre fair, I, I think it's still just a bit behind Blood Rage. But, yeah, uh, I, I mean, this is probably, you know, like the, the second greatest Thanksgiving set or of them. So I'm not too terribly turned off by it. <laughs> not that there's much competition, but, um, yeah, uh, fun time. Definitely worth watching. And, uh, yeah, uh, highest rated Eli Roth film by a mile. So I'm really impressed with this one. All right. So, yeah, I mean, with with me and Eli Roth, uh, we go way back now. Just kind of, um, <laughs> I my thing with Eli Roth is like I actually liked Hostel and Hostel 2 a lot. But otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of mid on other stuff. Um, I, I think, he, you know, he's one of those writer directors where like 
when you hear him talk about horror, he he's like great. Like whether he's being interviewed or if he's interviewing others, like um, when he did that show for AMC, was it called The History of Horror? I, I, it might have been. Um, not true. only that, but when they, yeah, and then when Shutter. Shutter actually released audio versions of like the uncut interviews where like he was talking to Tarantino for like over an hour. When you just listen to him talk, I kind of find it similar to, like Rob Zombie, right? Like when they talk about horror, it's like legendary conversations. When they make horror movies, it's kind of like okay, like you're not like incompetent in in being able to make movies just to me they're not always the best uh, but i did really like hostel and i thought hostel 2 was even better which seems like we kind of all agree on on that but his other movies have been okay uh kind of in the okay range to me uh, as far as this movie yeah I, the funny thing is i didn't see like i'm i'm still not like a non-trailer person but for this one i just didn't watch it because when they announced um, that it was going to be made, I had already kind of had the, that original trailer to, to kind of base my uh, <clears throat> my anticipation on. I was like, okay, they're making a full-length feature. That, that's awesome. Um, so when the movie started, yeah, I, at first I was a little bit like, whoa, this is – the aesthetic of this is like way different. Um, obviously, yeah, it definitely had like the, the 90s or early 2000s slasher look to it. But once I got over that, it, it turned out to be a pretty fun movie. And the kill – it almost feels like the, the kills are like Grindhouse movie worthy. It's just um, th they throw the kills in like a 90s, 2000 slasher movie. So for – you. I guess for like a certain audience, you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? Because for those that love 90s slashers, it's like, oh, here's your 90s slasher, but look at these kills. These are kills that you usually aren't going to get in mainstream movies. And I have to wonder if like the success of Terrifier 2 is like letting <laughs> letting like, your rated R movies get, get away with a little <clears throat> more extreme kills for theatrical releases. Because, yeah, th these kills are fun. They were pretty inventive. Um, I love the presentation at the Thanksgiving dinner. Like that was awesome. Like, um, yeah. And overall, like I, I, I liked uh, the cast. Like to get Patrick Dempsey for this. Like, and it's funny because like I think last last week, the week before the movie releases, I think it was People Magazine that named him like the sexiest man yeah. alive. So it's hilarious that like the following week he's in. Thanksgiving, the horror movie. Um, so that was just a great get there. And overall, yeah, I found the characters uh, likable for the most part. Yeah, I do agree with Don. There was like a weird kind of awkward love triangle that I don't, I don't know if it just gets resolved because hey, trauma happened, so we're just gonna let bygones be bygones because that, that's kind of how they address it. But um, as far as like knowing the killer, I want to say for the majority of the movie, I think they kept it pretty hidden but there was something that happened in the third act that to me it I, it kind of like tipped its hat but we'll obviously I'll save that for spoilers um what else can I say like you guys pretty much said that I, I think you guys pro maybe liked it a little more than me but I still had fun with it I still thought it was good I liked it um to me if you get if you make a slasher movie and you give us pretty good kills and a pretty good mystery um, around who the killer is. I, I think it's a winner. The mask is kind of cheesy, but I th it's okay because it kind of goes with Thanksgiving. You know, it, sometimes 
Sometimes yeah, bats I think that that's kind of look the most horrific just work, you know. I think that was that was the way I kind of felt about it is that it looks a little chintzy when you first see it because you realize it's you know this diner store you know trinket or you know piece that they go and you know it's like a giveaway thing that they have as like a special at the diner and then you realize that that's the mask for the killer but then you know it's it, it does eventually work on you the longer the film goes along. Yeah, I I like that they treat the holiday of Thanksgiving as important in this movie as like um, Halloween themed or Christmas themed movies treat those holidays because Thanksgiving often is sometimes the downplayed or underrepresented holiday sandwich in between Halloween and Christmas because there's always plenty of Christmas themed movies in the horror genre and on Halloween uh, as far as the holiday. theme goes but thanksgiving is kind of like the the hit and miss where there there's not as many especially like mainstream theatrical horror so i love the fact that like this movie just screams thanksgiving throughout the whole or as far as the holiday goes throughout the whole movie um you you never forget that yeah it, it's uh taking place during um the thanksgiving holiday um what else I, I, that's probably it for general thoughts, but yeah, go if, if for any reason at all. If you're skeptical, go for the creative and awesome kills. So I'll kick it back to you, Venom. Going back to a point that Don made, I, I 100% agree with Don that it's a little jarring, especially if you watch the original Grindhouse trailer, which I did because I, you know, uh, before going to see this movie, you guys know I don't watch trailers, but of course with the original Grindhouse Thanksgiving trailer, I've already seen it a bunch of times, so I figured, you know, give me something to work on anyway. And it was nice to see some of the kills from the original Grindhouse trailer in this movie, maybe not nearly as gruesome as they are in the original uh, trailer, and you know we'll get into that. Some of the, ki- I mean, some of the kills in this movie are very gruesome. Don't don't let me make it sound like this is a uh, a, a very tapered um, you know horror film by any stretch. No, there's still some over the top stuff. But if you really really remember that original Thanksgiving trailer. Uh, some of the stuff that they did in there was just a little bit more intense than what we get in the film. I'll go over that later as we go through the film, but <clears throat> I do wish that they would have kept that Grindhouse aesthetic. Like, watching the original Grindhouse trailer, you know, with the film scratches and, and hairs and all the marks on it, you know, the degradation, I, I just, I love that aesthetic, you know. I'm, I'm a 70s guy, you know. It's, it's the decade I was born in. It's the decade where I grew up in. So that aesthetic has always worked for me. So, yes, I would have liked to have seen this movie more grindhousey, if you will. Uh, but I do understand why they went the way they went. Because so far, they've done it with every one of these trailers uh, that, that has gone on to become a movie. Uh, they did the same thing with Machete or Machete to you, to the white folks. Um, you know, they, they kind of glossied that up a little bit when it got its two film releases. And, you know, they did the same thing here with Thanksgiving Though I would have liked to have seen that grindhouse aesthetic kept, I'm not going to complain that hard about it. It's it's a minor thing that I noticed when the movie started. But, yeah, within five to ten minutes of the movie, you don't even care anymore. <clears throat> Especially, you know, once you get that first riot at the store on, the, on that first Thanksgiving, uh, it, it just turns incredibly entertaining after that, so... Oh, man, what else can we talk about that's spoiler-free? It's so hard with slashers because it's either you're talking about the kills or you're talking about, you know, potential red herrings, storylines, things like that. 
Um, let's see. Yeah, obviously, with a th- this being a theatrical movie, I don't have notes, so <laughs> I have nothing to peruse. But let's uh, yeah, I, I will say, yeah, that opening Black, the Black Friday riot was mm-hmm. awesome. Like, I've heard some criticism that people think that that's like uh, like using the whole Black Friday chaos stuff was like played out, but I'm like, it hasn't happened in that many movies. I mean, it's not like it's it's a theme that's been visited tons of times. I know there's, like, a movie about it, but I thought it was fine because it's still, like, relevant, I think. I mean, I do agree, like, the frenzy of Black Friday isn't as crazy as it used to be because with Internet and all that shopping, um, not as many people need to line up at stores, but it still happens. And, yeah. and it's like the movie doesn't feel like it has like a certain time stamp on it like it, it's not like it it feels like it's taking place this year so it's like hey it could be it feels like it could be taking place anytime in the last decade or so so i'm i'm good with it yeah yeah anytime they had sm- smartphone technology since uh the smartphones are kind of a big part of this film and you know blah 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 the, the use of technology in this film that's part of the reason I would have liked to have kept that 70s aesthetic, you know, no cell phones, none of that, um, you know, kind of weird little twist that we've gotten, that same cell phone twist that we've gotten in about a dozen action films and a few other horror films, you know, we get it again here, but um, ultimately it's still executed really well. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily complaining. It's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have seen this. I would have loved to have seen this. Does it take away from the film? Not in my opinion. In my opinion, this is still a very highly rated film. You know, if I had to give this a rating, it would be a high one. And I don't think it's top 10 worthy necessarily. On the strength of the kills alone, yes. But ultimately, the story is very derivative. We've seen it before. Uh, You know, I already explained, you know, the basic gist of the story. Somebody's wronged on a holiday, uh, and then in in a future holiday, they go on a rampage. You know, we like I said, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. But for whatever it's worth, this one comes off as fun, likable. Despite there still being some hateable characters in here, they're not hateable in the sense that it's ruining the film. They're hateable in the sense of, ooh, I can't wait to see this person die type thing. And, you know, even though we don't get all of all the kills that we would have liked to have seen, as Mike kind of alluded to, despite this movie having some great kills, the body count isn't all that high, ultimately. Um, It stays in single digits, which, yeah, a movie like this, you know, could benefit from a higher body count. But honestly, with the kills that we get, I'm very satisfied with, you know, that element of it. Yeah, kills, effects, things like that. So if oh, yeah. you guys don't have anything, I've, I've, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I forgot to even bring up the one modified modified kill from the original trailer to this movie. They kind of change it up a little. Yeah, that's what I mean um, by less gruesome. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's two kills in the original Thanksgiving trailer. Well, no, technically three kills. There's three kills that are redone in the, the feature-length film that were done in that original trailer. And two of them are much more intense in the Thanksgiving trailer than what we get in the film. Not necessarily a knock on the film by any stretch of the imagination. The kills are still great. 
Um, it's just, if you've already seen the Thanksgiving trailer and you've seen it many, many times as I have, because I am a big fan of the Grindhouse films, Planet Terror and Death Proof are just absolute classics to me. I watch them often. So I end up seeing those trailers a lot too, you know, uh, the werewolf women of the SS and whatnot. So, um, I'm very familiar with the trailer. So when I see the kill on the film, it's like, oh, that's not nearly as bad as it was in the trailer, but that's probably a good thing. Again, since we're talking about a theatrical, a theatrically released horror film, you know, in American theaters, you know, we can't expect stuff like Terrifier in theaters all the time. You know, I'm shocked that Terrifier two ever played in national theaters, honestly. But it was a pleasant surprise to go to these crowded theaters, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks till Halloween with kids and everything else here to see Terrifier 2. That was very refreshing. This this old horror heart felt great that day, going to see Terrifier in a, in a filled theater. So let's hope that stuff like this, the gore-filled, you know, um, the gore fests that, that some of us love so much, let's hope that this is going to make a big return to theaters because, you know, I don't think we've had a real great heyday of gory films since, like, the early 80s, maybe. You know, with stuff like The Thing and, you know, some of the early slashers, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's about as intense as core really got. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be little examples from the 90s and the 2000s. I understand that. You know, we all have our dead alives and our sadnesses and whatever. But, I mean, as far as an actual era of gore... I would love to see, you know, a resurgence of, you know, gory cinema in theaters, in, in American theaters today, you know. So fingers crossed that that's where we're going. I mean, we, we already know we got Terrifier 3 coming as a Christmas film next year. So we're all excited about that one. Even though it's still getting released on Halloween, it's a Christmas horror film. But that's a discussion for another podcast. <laughs> All right, folks, so that's going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not seen Thanksgiving and uh, care to are interested in it, go ahead and pause the show now and come back to us after you've seen it. Otherwise, if you've already seen it or don't give a rat's ass about it, go ahead and stick around. Here we go, folks. All right, our Thanksgiving movie opens with uh, two different families at Thanksgiving dinner. One is a, like a middle-class family uh, the dad of the family is the manager of Wright Mart. Uh, Wright Mart is like the big store in this town in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And yes, the movie does take place in Plymouth, Massachusetts. So Thanksgiving is their Christmas to them. So yeah, you are you are dealing with a lot of Thanksgiving aesthetic and decorations and things like that throughout the film, the Thanksgiving parade, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, be prepared for a lot of Christ uh, Thanksgiving decorations. So, um, like I said, we have our middle class family. The dad finds out that he has to work on Thanksgiving because the guy that uh, was scheduled to work called out. So now he has to leave his family right in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner to go to work. Then we are transported to a much um, higher income neighborhood where we are at a mansion. And now we are at the, we are at the family uh, mansion or manor of the rights. And, you know, they are the ones who have, uh, they own the store. They own a lot of the property in the town, you know, very, uh, you know, they just, you know, they're, they're the local rich guy who does a lot for the community, blah, blah, blah. Um, at their dinner, um, they're talking about his decision, his, the, his decision to open the store on Thanksgiving that it was the idea of his current fiance, 
we're introduced to his daughter named uh, Jessica, I believe, or Jesse. I forget already. Jesse, uh, Jessica, yeah. Uh, we're introduced to his daughter Jessica and her baseball phenom boyfriend Bobby. Uh, they have just finished Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, Jessica and Bobby are headed to a party. Their friends come to pick them up, and they decide to stop by Wright Mart. Since Jessica's father owns Wright Mart, you know, they're, they're kind of able to go into the store after hours or when the public generally wouldn't. Um, but obviously, this is Thanksgiving Day. They are opening at exactly 6 p.m., and the crowd is massive. There's a giant crowd outside, and the reason there's a big crowd, and this is where I would, this is where I would call uh, retailers irresponsible, the reason we have a rabid uh, mob outside is because they're giving away a waffle iron to the first 100 customers. Anytime a store gives away anything to the first whatever number of customers, you know someone's going to die that night, okay? It's, it's just in inevitability. You've got about a 1,000 people in your parking lot all wanting one of a 100 free waffle irons. So, yeah, don't be surprised if the shit hits the fan. Uh, Jessica's able to get her and her friends into the store. We're introduced to all her friends, Scuba, uh, I, I remember Scuba's name because it's pretty, you know, uh, memorable. Um, and his girlfriend, uh, Yuria, who's a Russian girl with no accent. She sounds straight up American, but her dad is very, very, very Russian. And of course, like I said, her name is Yulia with a Y. Um, and then, you know, a, a couple of their other friends as well. So they're in the store. They're making their purchases and while they're in the store, they're kind of taunting the crowd outside the front door. Obviously, the crowd is amassing. They're getting restless. There's only two security guards outside, and they're not even professional security guards that are, like, armed. They're just, like, those mall cop-type security guards that basically are uh, basically have no effect on anything. And, of course... As the crowd outside is getting antsy, the kids inside the store are making more fun of them, antagonizing them more and more. Eventually, uh, one of the, like, kind of the main mouth of the riot, uh, a kid from a rival high school, he's able to get a, a megaphone away from the sheriff's hand, and he just yells out, Store's open, folks! Let's get our waffle irons! Which, of course, makes the entire crowd lunge forward, they get through the barrier. They get to the front door. Um, the uh, the front door is still locked. Um, you know, the, the doors haven't been opened yet. But from the weight of the crowd outside pushing up against the door, we start to see the glass crack on the front. It's actually a really cool effect because, you know, the security guard is there trying to open the locked door to let people in so they don't get crushed. And then suddenly we see the crack form from the bottom and it just goes up all the way to the top of the door until finally the entire frame um, just falls off. Uh, basically the door falls and the crowd just rushes in. Of course, they pretty much kill that security guard. The other security guard, once he sees the crowd break into the store, he runs off like an absolute coward, just literally leaves the scene. So you've got one dead security guard and one, you know, coward security guard. So now at this point, there's no security. People are running around all over the store. Uh, we see a guy slit his own throat by trying to force his way into the store uh, through the door that was just broken, and there's broken glass around the frame. He, 
he pushes his way through hard enough that a piece of glass sticking out of the frame slits his own throat. And then we get a nice gag with him later where he's on the brink of death, but he still has his hands on his free waffle iron. And then as soon as he falls and dies, someone comes over and grabs it out of his hand. You know, another greedy shopper that doesn't care that, that a man is bleeding to death on the floor. Uh, but then the big um, of the, kind of the big catalyst of this one and the entire film is uh, you remember I mentioned Mitch, the manager of the store, the middle class family that we're introduced to right at the beginning. His wife showed up at the store to drop off some Thanksgiving dinner for him. And unfortunately, she got caught up in the um, in the riot. She ends up getting thrown to the floor and then in what I actually thought was a pretty damn good kill, even though it's not the goriest thing you've ever seen, two women with shopping carts come and sandwich this woman's head, cracking her skull open. And to the point, and these women are so oblivious to the fact that there's a woman that they literally just killed on the floor that um, the woman on the floor, Mitch's wife, her hair gets caught up on the wheel of one of the shopping carts. And the woman, uh, you know, the shopper, she's so oblivious to the person on the floor because she's arguing with the girl that she ran into that she doesn't notice that she, when she pulls the cart away, she actually partially scalps this woman in what is a pretty gnarly looking effect, actually. Uh, literally just a piece of her hair and scalp are pulled away from her head then at this point, Mitch, the store manager, notices that his wife is lying dead on the ground. He freaks out and, you know, jumps on her and starts screaming for help. Obviously, there are still riots. You know, the, the, the rioters are still running around all over the store, looting everything. Nobody's paying for anything at this point. Most of the cashiers aren't even at the registers. They're all terrified and hiding, and people are just ransacking this store. And... Eventually, the sheriff sees that Mitch is there with his wife and that he's, you know, he uh, the sheriff notices that the wife has also been killed. And we see him finally pull out his gun and shoot it into the air. And at that moment, we get our title card, which is the classic bloody Thanksgiving font that just kind of drips onto the screen and then drips off. And that is our cold open. Pretty intense cold open for a Hollywood horror film. Uh, we got a couple of great kills early on. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Bobby, uh, the pitcher guy. Uh, w during the riot, he notices that the security guard that got uh, crushed underneath the front entrance is still alive. It, it looks like he's still alive because his eyes are kind of, are open and he's you know his hands are trying to reach out. Bobby goes and tries to help the security guard out. As Bobby crawls out of his hiding spot to go help the security guard, somebody snaps his arm. Uh, literally, they step on his arm, and it just snaps like a twig. And as I mentioned earlier, Bobby is like a, a local baseball star. You know, he's got a bright uh, major league career ahead of him. But, of course, you know, with this injury now, who knows? So, okay, so... After our cold open, it is now one year later, we see news reports about the riots and everything that happened, and that the only footage that's available is uh, viral footage. Uh, apparently, the security store footage was all gone by the time the police got to the store. We see Mitch talking, to, you know, Mitch, the ex-store manager. He is now the ex-store manager, of course. Now he's rallying against the Wright family 
trying to get them to not open again on Thanksgiving after the events of the previous year. Of course, the Wright family says, oh, hell yeah, we're going to open on Thanksgiving. Last year was absolute craziness. I don't know how they could have made money. They had to have lost a lot of money because, like I said, it was was a full-on looting riot by the time we got to the end. So... Uh, the family decides, um, and now um, Jessica's father, Mr. Wright, is now married to uh, the woman that he was engaged to early, early uh, the year before. And, of course, you know, it, it's the wicked stepmother syndrome. Jessica doesn't like her. She comes off as a very money-hungry kind of person. She only really, it seems like she really only cares about the money and the notoriety of being married to the most popular man in this town, blah, blah, blah. So, so, like you know, Jessica's obviously trying to convince them, don't open on Thanksgiving. You saw what happened last year. The father kind of retorts that he's going to have more security this year. He's going to make sure that the cameras are all working and blah, 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 blah. Um, at this point, Jessica and her friends start to start getting these mysterious text messages. Not text messages, but they start getting tagged on social media posts. And the account that they're being tagged from is called John Carver. Um, John Carver, of course, being a real life, uh, you know, person who had a lot to do with the first Thanksgiving, you know, with the Indians and everything else. I'm not going to give you a history lesson because that's boring as hell. But uh, so um, let's see, where are we here at this point? Um, John Carver is, you know, has a social media account and he tagged all the kids uh, to a post that basically just shows a Thanksgiving dinner tables set up. And that's pretty much it. And it just as the table is set, like the, the tag on the post or the, the description is just the table is set. So at this point, we start seeing a man, uh, or, you know, we think it's a man, dressed in the John Carver outfit, which, by the way, this mask, as Don mentioned earlier, is being given away by a, a local diner. It's just like a Thanksgiving promotion. You know, you, you buy something and you get, a, you get a John Carver mask, which is why everyone is wearing this mask at multiple points throughout the film, which probably is actually kind of ingenious when you think about it, because the killer, you know, if everybody's wearing this mask, how are you going to find the killer? It's not like finding a guy with a hockey mask in the middle of the woods. That's probably a lot easier. <laughs> so anyway, um, what what we start to see is we start seeing people that were major players to the original riot from the year before start getting stalked by this character in a John Carver outfit. First, we see a waitress at the local diner, and she is stalked. There's a couple of gnarly parts of this scene. At one point... Uh, the, the killer, I'm just going to call him John Carver the rest of the movie. Uh, at one point, John Carver dips her head in a sink full of water and then puts her head up on the inside of the walk-in freezer door, basically gluing her to the wall, which I thought was fucking genius. Um, she's sitting there trying to pull her face off the door, but obviously doesn't necessarily want to do permanent damage to her own face. Um, yeah. Eventually, <laughs> that's, I just... that, that's what that's when I could feel. Whenever there's a kill in a movie that like a very minor version has happened to me, it makes it that much more uh, cringy. Like you're oh, yeah. you're squirming in your seat because I've definitely felt the uh, the fro- like the cold water frozen to something. I think it happened like my fingertip once where I had to like yeah. pull my finger off of like an icy frozen uh surface like that and 
it only very minorly like ripped my skin, but like just that was enough to know that if something oh, yeah. ever happened <laughs> nearly like in the movie, oh my god, that would suck. Yeah, that actually did happen to me as well. My story is that I was outside. Um, you know, just kind of playing with my friends and right behind my house uh, at this point in my childhood, there was a small pond. Now, it was the middle of the winter. So for the most part, we thought the pond was frozen. So we're kind of playing on the edge of the pond. And at one point while we're playing, my right hand falls through the ice into the pond. You know, no big deal. Yes, the water was extremely cold, painfully cold. But I pulled my hand out right away and I figured no big deal. The mistake was when I kind of tripped myself up trying to get up, and I accidentally grabbed an empty beer can on the ground. I, I'm sure at this point we all know where this story's going. I could not get the beer can off my hand to save my goddamn life. Luckily, I wasn't with kids my own age, like younger kids. There was actually a couple of older kids, and they were one of them was literally like, "Dude, just go inside and run your hand over uh, under hot water." And I did that. The can came right off. There was minimal damage on my hand. Like, I never pulled it off. But I could. I still remember the pain of trying to pull it off my hand. Oh, that absolutely sucked. Thankfully, though, I wasn't stupid enough to do the tongue on the flagpole thing. So, you know, that's something at least. <laughs> anyway, back to Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where are we here? All right. Our lady is uh, kind of frozen to the inside of the walk-in freezer. She eventually pulls her face off of uh, the door, leaving a chunk of her cheek up on the on the, uh, the inside of the freezer door. She ends up hiding in like a security room that's got like cameras all through the diner. I know, a diner with a security system with multiple cameras. That's kind of crazy, but there it is. She notices that on all the cameras, she can't see the killer, so she's like, okay, I think he's gone, which, of course, it's a horror movie. They're not gone. She ends up coming out of her hiding space, running outside to go out to her car. Once she gets to her car, she starts looking through her purse, realizes she doesn't have her keys with her, and she's, like, sitting there, where the hell are my keys? Where the hell are my keys? And, of course, with perfect timing at that exact moment, her car is turned on, and we see that John Carver is driving. So, obviously, he stole her keys at some point in the evening. Uh, she's, he starts to give chase in the car, basically trying to run her down. She makes the mistake of trying to jump in a dumpster, and I forgot to mention that this is an older, not-so-thin woman, so, she, you know, her trying to run away from a car is kind of futile, but the fact of the matter is she tries to jump in a dumpster to try to avoid getting smashed by the car. Unfortunately, she's not fast enough. She only gets her upper body up over the edge of the dumpster. So that when John Carver comes smashing into the dumpster, the lid comes smashing down and literally cuts her fucking body in half. And we get to see every glorious instant of it. The camera does not cut away. We actually get to see the lid come down. The, the lower half of the body hit the ground with intestines still attached. Oh, so, so great. Um, then the next morning... Uh, we see that the police are all gathered in front of Wright Mart, and the reason that they're all gathered there is the killer decided to take the lower half of the waitress's body and prop it up 
on the the big sign at the front of the store, right next to a sign that says "All prices slashed fifty percent off," and then the woman's half body right next to that sign, which you know works as a great sight gag. At least it worked for me. Um, so of course, at this point now, the kids realize, oh shit, this John Carver guy is actually serious, and he might be going after people that caused or had something to do with the riot from the year before. Uh, the next victim of John Carver is the security guard, the cowardly security guard, the one that ended up running away once the shit hit the fan um, at the, the, the previous Thanksgiving sale. We see that the guy lives alone in his apartment with a cat, and we see that he's basically packing up. He's basically leaving town. He's got a passport in his hand. We see him put the passport down on his end table. And then he goes to talk to his cat to tell his cat, okay, I'm going to be gone for a little while. I got someone to come and take care of you and feed you, so you sh should be all set, blah, blah, blah. But then when he's done talking with his cat and he goes back to the end table, his passport is gone. Complete. It's not in the spot where he had left it. At that point, he realizes he's not alone in his apartment. He picks up a bat. And <laughs> one of the funniest things ever, he yells out to the killer, uh, I'm a security guard. I kill people every day. <laughs> Which, again, it worked for me. It was a stupid gag, especially when you see this fat loser, you know, this big fat coward of a security guard talk about how he kills people every day. Anyway. Um, eventually, John Carver does uh, attack the security guard with one of those electric carving knives, like, you know, for carving a turkey. Uh, basically buries it right in his gut. And then he does this cool-ass V for Vendetta move that I've never seen in a horror movie where he grabs – um, he puts garrot wire, you know, piano wire around the guy's neck, but then he does kind of like a 180 behind the guy's back and almost like a dance move, like he's fucking Beyonce or Jennifer Lopez. He pulls the garrot wire forward, which completely severs the security guard's head. And once again, there is no cut. We see, we see the cut. Uh, and we see the head slowly fall off. Nice, good uh, gush of blood, you know, arterial spray. Ah, oh, awesome. <laughs> Another great kill. And then the one thing I like about John Carver, I'm going to give him credit. As he's walking out of the apartment with the security guy's head in his book bag, he notices that the cat doesn't have any food in his bowl. So he ends up feeding the cat and then petting the cat on the head as he's walking out of the apartment with the cat owner's head. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Honestly, 10 out of 10 move right there. Perfect killer in the – greatest killer in the history of cinema right there. Damn right. Always feed the pet. You know, that, that poor thing ain't going to get fed until the cops find out that the body is – or that the guard is dead, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, absolutely. Kudos to the killer. All right. So, at this point, the killer finally takes another picture of the table, the, the dinner table, and and he tags all the kids involved in the riot again in the picture and actually posts it on social media. And we see the top half of the waitress sitting at the dinner table. And then we see the severed head of the security guard at one of the plates, uh, one of the place settings on a plate. So, And at this point is when Jessica and our friends realize that um, – their names are actually on the placards. 
on the dinner table. On each spot at the dinner table is a name, like uh, a name placard. And it's it's our friends. They realize, oh, shit, we're definitely the target of this guy. I did forget to mention one thing earlier, folks. Um, uh, Jessica's boyfriend, Bobby, after he got his arm broken a year earlier, he basically disappeared from town. As I mentioned, he was a he had high prospects for being a major league pitcher. And after getting his arm broken, uh, apparently he kind of blamed Jessica because Jessica kind of forced him to go into the store that night. Um, and he just ended up disappearing. He left town completely. So uh, if you don't hear me mention Bobby, you know why, because he's basically gone at this point. All right. So. Um, at the, also at this point, you know, our kids, like I said, they realize that they're in some major danger and the, our next victims are a couple of kids from Hanover. And this is where we get the trampoline kill, uh, that many of you will remember from the original Grindhouse trailer. Um, unfortunately the kill is a lot more tame here. And there's also a kill in this scene that bugs me because it doesn't seem realistic. Uh, basically, we see one of the Hanover kids um, with his girlfriend at the school. She pulls him aside uh, to show him a trampoline, and she basically starts to strip tease. Oh, that's the other thing. This girl never gets naked, whereas in the original Grindhouse trailer, that girl got naked right away. So, yeah, no nudity in this one, unfortunately. Um, so... She starts, you know, jumping on the trampoline. At one point, she jumps up so high that she gives the killer enough time to walk up to her boyfriend. And this is the kill that kind of bothers me. Literally twists his head backwards so that it's facing behind him. Now, once we get the reveal of who the killer is, this kill doesn't make any sense because I know we've all seen people get their heads twisted off in movies, not twisted off, but twisted. Uh, my friends, that is not uh, something that's easy to do. You can't just walk up to a person and then twist their head all the way behind them. I mean, you, you'd have to be a bodybuilder and you'd have to be doing it to a small child because once you grab the head of your victim that victim's going to start flailing going to start resisting there's just no way that a normal human being is going to be able to twist a human head all the way around like that but again suspension of disbelief so we'll let it pass eventually the girl on the trampoline finally notices that her boyfriend isn't looking at her she turns around to see that his head is twisted the wrong way. It's facing backwards. And then that's when we see the knife come up from underneath the trampoline. Now, if you guys remember in the original Thanksgiving trailer, our girl is, um, how do we put it? She has intercourse with the knife. <laughs> What's a nice way to put it? She gets stabbed in the vagina there. <laughs> um, uh, unfortunately, they don't go that hard with this kill. Um, at first, uh, she's stabbed in the foot. Uh, you know, she falls on the knife on her foot. Then the knife goes through her hand. And then eventually she falls on the knife so that it's right in the middle of her chest. We see her spit up some blood and she's dead. So, you know. Yeah, it's it wasn't a bad kill. It's no, only no. because we had the expectation of what we had already yeah. seen. So there, yeah. there was like, oh, here it comes. And it's like, oh, slightly modified. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as soon as I saw the trampoline, I'm like, yes, here it comes. 
And and this is where I'm like, okay, there's no way that Roth is going to edit this, is he? And then he goes and edits it. I mean, maybe there's a director's cut out there where she actually does get impregnated by the knife. I don't know. But what we get in the theater, unfortunately, is a little bit more tame. And, and especially because it follows the very unrealistic head twist. Like, like I said, it's one thing for Jason Voorhees to twist your head backwards. It's another thing for the person who is the killer in this movie to do it. And it, with no effort. We, yeah, I mean, literally, it was almost like it was a doll. He just twists. Um, yeah, I, I had the same problem with uh, Dewey's... Uh, hopefully this isn't a spoiler uh, for Scream 5, but uh, Dewey's death in Scream 5, I had the exact same problem with that kill. Because based on who was wearing the ghost face mask during that scene, there's no fucking way that they could have stabbed him in the front and the back and then lifted him off the ground. It is literally a 100% impossibility. But True. Sus- suspension of disbelief, we got to allow it. So if I'm going to allow that, I got to allow the head twist. So there you go. <laughs> it still looks great, at least. Don't get me wrong. It's still fun. It elicited a and, uh, uh, an LOL from me. I literally laughed out loud. Um, even though, yeah, it looks silly and it's, you know, highly impossible, whatever. It's a, it's a horror movie. Let's move on. So after they find these two Hanover kids dead, um, the police then are, they're doing like a search at, um, what is it? Plymouth East, the high school that our kids go to, the kids that we're following, Jessica, Bobby, Scuba, those guys, uh, they go to Plymouth East, um, Whereas the kid and his girlfriend that are killed in the trampoline scene are from a rival high school, Hanover. So after the Hanover kids are killed, we see that the police are over at Park uh, at Plymouth East, and we see that uh, the the football game has gotten canceled because um, Plymouth was playing Hanover, and the guy that was killed was like I don't I don't know if he was the coach or like the star player. It's hard to age these people, you know. Like the Hanover guy that gets his head twisted off, he could be anywhere from 18 to 42. It's just so hard to age these actors. So, um, so anyway, football game gets canceled. The police are there at the school to tell people the football game is canceled because one of the Hanover kids was killed by the John Carver killer. By the way, the entire town is aware of this. It's not like this is some kind of stealthy thing. They know that there's a killer going around killing people dressed as John Carver. It's it, it's like a very public thing. All right, so where are we? So at this point, we see Jessica and her new boyfriend. Uh, I forget. What's the name of the new boyfriend? I forgot his goddamn name already. Nelson, Evan... I can't remember. But anyway, um, obviously, like I said earlier, Bobby left town after he got his arm broken. And now she's dating this different guy whose name completely escapes me right now. Was it Lonnie? No, Lonnie was a little short. If you're looking up the cast name, I remember the guy was named Milo. The the actor who played him, his name is Milo. If you're looking up the cast, the, the the first name of the actor who played him is Milo. Okay, he must not be on the first page of actors then. He's probably on the... The, the fuller page. But anyway, not that big a deal. Uh, so basically, like I said, um, Jessica 
and two of her friends, one of the football players and his girlfriend, are at the school. He's upset that the football game got canceled, but he has to go back into the locker room and get undressed because apparently they weren't told until after they got all their football gear on and were literally on the way to the field that the game was canceled due to the tragedy at Hanover. And... Basically, um, the, the, the football player, Jessica's friend, who's a football player, and his girlfriend go off to the locker room so that he can get back changed into civilian clothes. While she's alone waiting, she ends up getting attacked by John Carver, who I got to say, well, before the reveal of who the killer is, I was giving this killer credit because literally the cops are right outside the high school, like literally maybe a couple of hundred feet away, but he still decides to show up here and attack uh, Jessica and her friends. Eventually, um, Jessica's, uh, her two friends, the football player and her, her and his girlfriend are eventually quote-unquote attacked it seems like they're attacked but i think they were just you know um the killer used chloroform or something and knocked them out blah 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 after she realizes that they are missing uh the killer does make himself be known attacks jessica then we get a chase sequence through like the uh the makeup department the makeup and hair department with all the mannequins there's a little bit of a chase through there. Then we get a chase through some of the offices in, there at the school. Blah, blah, blah. Eventually, she is able to get away from the killer and um, get back outside. Eventually, the cops realize, oh, shit, the killer is here. So they start to cordon off the place with their police tape and everything else. Blah, blah, blah. We end up... Um, Bobby ends up showing up there uh, right after Jessica is attacked, which, again, there's red herrings all over this movie. Bobby is a red herring at one point. Uh, Mitch, the ex-store manager, um, the big cop, like there's a new deputy in town who's like a big menacing guy who's kind of like an asshole, like he doesn't like anybody. He's a red herring. I mean, we have so many red herrings in this one. Like I said, it's a murder mystery, so you got to have your red herrings. All right, so uh, at this point, um, uh, let's see, Jessica realizes that, uh, or, or should I say that she makes the admission to Bobby that a year earlier when the police came to get the footage, uh, the security camera footage from the riot, and that it was all gone, she admits to Bobby that it was the stepmom who basically she decided to erase all the footage uh, because she was worried about lawsuits, you know, the, the fact that they only had two security guards, they figured there was going to be lawsuits and blah, blah, blah. So she literally deleted all the footage. But Jessica remembers that at her home, there is a backup hard drive or a backup server that saves all security footage for a year. Even if it's been deleted from its original source materials, um, it still exists in the backup drive. So she decides to sneak onto her father's computer and grab some pictures uh, from the footage. She doesn't actually get the footage itself and give it to the police. She just kind of prints up some still shots. And one of the still shots that she prints up is her current boyfriend um, basically being friendly with the security guard that got trampled to death the night of uh, the riot. Now, when the police originally interviewed this guy, he said he didn't know anybody there. Obviously, when you see 
see this, uh, this in the footage, Jessica instantly thinks, oh, shit, he's lying. He's trying to cover something up, blah, blah, blah. So instantly he becomes the the, the prime suspect at this point. Um, eventually, Bobby and the new boyfriend end up having a little bit of a confrontation. Um, and Bobby, after being asked by Jessica to kind of keep the information under his hat, basically just snaps and says, you know, well, what about you? What about you and the security guard? As it turns out, he wasn't really acquaintances with the security guard. He was buying Adderall from that guy. Um, and I'll be the first one to admit I have given my drug dealer a bro hug on more than one occasion, even if it's a guy that I literally just met a couple of days ago. You know, you, you guys know the bro hug, you know, the the kind of high, the, the high five that turns into the half hug, you know, the bro hug. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so he lets him know that, no, that guy was just selling me Adderall and I was just being friendly because that's how you are. You always treat your drug dealers well, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, uh, let's see, Scuba and, um, Jessica start to realize that they're probably next. There's, there's not really a whole lot of people left. Yulia's father shows up and grabs Yulia. Uh, Yulia, like I said earlier, is this beautiful Russian blonde girl, and she's dating Scuba, who's, you know, uh, um, uh, like the black linebacker on the team, you know, the popular black dude. And obviously, dad is not happy about it. He's a traditional, you know, Russian dad, so he's not happy. He shows up to grab Yulia, basically tells her, we're going to Florida, we're not staying here, we're all in danger, blah, 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 blah. Um, dad ends up taking Yulia back home while she's home. She's on a conference call, not a conference call, but like a FaceTime, uh, with her boyfriend Scuba, who is in his car with Jessica currently. And, um, eventually what we see is that, um, Yulia's father hired or, or got a policeman to escort them to the airport while we're at Yulia's house. John Carver does indeed show up. He ends up shooting a tranquilizer dart into both the security guard and the father, because apparently he doesn't have a gripe with those two. Unfortunately, though, he ends up, um, after he shoots the security guard, uh, the security guard drops the corn on the cob that he's eating, and the camera zooms in on the corn on the cob, specifically the corn cob holders at the end. Then we transition to a scene where we see Yulia changing her contact lenses and the camera is very close up on her eye. So the whole time I'm thinking, oh boy, those corn cob holders are going right in her eyeballs because that seems like that's what Eli is setting us up for. But uh, he does subvert that expectation. And while Yulia is on her FaceTime call with her boyfriend, John Carver shows up behind her and jams both of the corn cob holders into her ears instead of her eyes. And then uh, basically uh, chases her around the house. I forget. Does he do anything else to her at the house? I totally forgot. After he sticks the corn cob in. Remember? No, uh-huh. because remember, no, because remember, this is when um, the girl and her and the the other guy are racing to the house to try to save her, and then they have the confrontation with the killer at the house. Right. Oh, the chainsaw! God damn it! That's what it was. I knew that there was something else that happened to Yulia. Not chainsaw, table saw. Uh, basically, what ends up happening is that um, Scuba and Jessica end up showing up 
before John Carver is able to kill Yulia, and they end up in a Mexican standoff. At this point, Scuba has procured himself a gun from a character called McCarty, who's kind of an interesting character, maybe a little bit over the top with his acting performance, but still kind of an interesting character. Kind of provides drugs, alcohol, and guns for, you know, people in the community. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Um, anyway, uh, Scuba, who is now armed, has a Mexican standoff with John Carver. John Carver is holding Yulia in front of him, blocking his head with a knife up to Yulia's uh, throat. Now, Scuba, who obviously has never fired a gun in his life, goes to try to shoot John Carver, not realizing that the safety is still on on the gun. So he literally pulls the trigger and nothing happens. The instant that Scuba pulls the trigger and nothing happens, and he reali- and then he basically looks down to turn the safety off, uh, John Carver notices that there is a table saw, like a bandsaw, right there next to where he's standing. He kicks on the power button, and he throws Julia belly first onto the table saw. And, yep, exactly what you think is going to happen happens. All her insides are basically pulled out. By the time that Scuba is able to pull his girlfriend off the table saw, her intestines are hanging out. Um, the wound itself looked great because there was actually like saw blade marks on the outside of the wound, which I thought was a nice touch. You know, you could have easily just split her open lengthwise and then just had her intestines kind of sticking out. But the fact that they added those extra, you know, bandsaw blades uh, wounds on there, I just thought was really cool. I noticed that on my second watch. It's not likely something you're going to notice on the first watch. But, yeah, really nice effect. So at this point, yeah, Yulia has passed away, and we're basically down to um, Jessica and Scuba. And, and of course, you know, her ex and current boyfriends, who she's not talking to at this point in the film because she had a falling out with them back at the high school, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that, you know, romance triangle bullshit. I will say, though, I'm glad they didn't really force the romance triangle, the love triangle on us. Yes, it's an element of the movie, but it doesn't really have that much of a bearing on the film once it's all said and done. So I do appreciate that aspect of it. You guys know I hate a pigeonholed uh, romance in my horror films, you know. If there's a purpose for it, cool, but otherwise don't force it. There's no need to for it. So, okay, so anyway... At this point, um, our, 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 where are we? Yulia has just died, and now Scuba and Jessica are the last ones left. And it is now the day before Thanksgiving, and the family is contemplating whether they should go to the Thanksgiving parade. Um, obviously, they're a big, prominent family in the community, so they always make an appearance at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. This year, they've decided not to. For obvious reasons, because it seems like anybody who had a major part with the riot a year earlier is being snuffed out by John Carver. And that's exactly what happens. And But they end up deciding, or Jessica, I should say, ends up saying, no, I think we should go to the to the parade because it might draw out John Carver. If we all stay hidden inside our mansion – He's never going to come after us, and we're never going to find out who this is. So she's able to convince both her father and the police that, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's go ahead and have you guys at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. 
and try to flush out the killer. They do end up going to the parade, and this is where we get another kill from the original uh, Thanksgiving Grindhouse trailer. If you remember during that trailer, uh, somebody with a turkey mascot costume gets decapitated, and that's exactly what happens here. Basically, the parade's going off without a hitch, no major problems, and then out of nowhere, wham, an axe just comes out of nowhere, decapitates this guy with a turkey costume on. At that point, he starts setting off smoke bombs. And obviously with the smoke emanating in the air, nobody can really see where they're going. Um, eventually we see uh, one of the deputies, I think. I think it's one of the deputies. Uh, basically get the family, get the right family off of the float and into a car. I, <laughs> I got to talk about this one kill during this scene, though. During this scene, we get a um, kind of like the Mayflower, the ship, the Mayflower. It, it's a it's a parade float, and it's on the bed of a truck, of like a flatbed truck. At one point during the parade, after the actor, you know, after the turkey actor gets his head cut off, one of the, the guy who's driving that particular float slams on his brakes, and the point of the ship, you know that almost like a dagger that sticks out at the front of some ships literally goes through the back windshield straight through this fucking guy's head. Now, normally when we would get a kill like this, we would get just what we got for the first part of the kill in this movie where we see the pole go through his head and, and then the camera cuts away fairly quickly. The difference here is that Eli Roth decides to go back to that shot and linger on it, my friends. He literally has the camera lingering on this, and you can see how amazing the effect looks. You can see, like, the guy's nose, like, kind of hanging off the side of his face. And this is a big pole, mind you. It's not like it just impaled one of his eyeballs. It went through his fucking face. And there is now a giant wooden pole sticking through his face. And then the camera pans over to the two little girls in the passenger seat of the truck getting sprayed with blood from the wound. I, I just bravo, Mr. Roth. Fucking bravo, okay? Most directors would have just given us the, the first impact and then cut away and we never see it again. Nope. You decided to up the ante and show this poor guy bleeding out with this pole sticking through his head. So, like I said, bravo, bravo. Okay, so back to um, our four main characters. That's Mr. Wright, his wife, Jessica, and Scuba. Um, one of the deputies basically gets them loaded into one of the uh, sheriff's department vehicles. And then just as the sheriff deputy is about to get into the truck to drive away, we see the clown who decapitated the turkey. By the way, he's not dressed like John Carver in this scene. I forgot to he's, – he's almost dressed like a killer clown. Like he's very menacing looking. He's, he's kind of a scary looking clown. Why he's dressed like that for the Thanksgiving Day Parade is beyond me, but whatever. It works. Um, so anyway, like I said – uh, just as, as the deputy is about to get in the car to get our four um, last characters to safety, the clown shows up, uh, shoots a tranquilizer dart into the deputy. Then he sets off a flashbang grenade inside of the sheriff's car, which, of course, blinds and, you know, messes up the hearing of the four characters inside the car. 
So the clown comes in and just in quick succession, boom, 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 shoots off four tranquilizer darts, one in each of the chests of uh, our four characters in the backseat of the sheriff's car. He then ends up driving off and we are off to our finale. And our finale is very much, once again, very much like what we saw in the original Thanksgiving trailer. Um, one of the one of the characters in this case, it's Mr. Wright's uh, wife, basically uh, Jessica's stepmother. Uh, she, we see a scene where uh, John Carver is actually glazing her. I'm dead serious. She's on a platter surrounded by potatoes and carrots and all sorts of gar- uh, garnish and things like that. And he's literally with a paintbrush glazing her entire body. She fortunately wakes up in the middle of the glazing, if you will, but she continues to play dead, waiting for John Carver to leave the room, which he eventually does. At the moment that he leaves, she gets up and hides so that when John Carver gets back to the kitchen, he realizes she's gone, the platter is empty, and he picks up a pitchfork and starts giving chase. Um, basically she ends up finding a room that has a refrigerator and inside the refrigerator is a, another one of John Carver's victims. Um, unfortunately the girl ends up coming too, just as, uh, Mrs. Wright is trying to get out of, you know, the, the, the house that she's in. And at that moment, John Carver realizes where she is. So he follows in there with her. Um, this scene's kind of funny, too, because it kind of shows how much shorter the killer is than Mrs. Wright. Did you guys notice that? In that shot where Mrs. Wright is on the right, uh, on the left side of the screen, and the killer is still in the kitchen, and he can't tell that she's around the corner, he is so much shorter than her, which it's cool because it definitely takes out the deputy as a red herring, because uh, he's a big, I mean, that dude's like six foot two. He's a big dude. Um, it also takes out Bobby because Bobby, Bobby was ultra short. Like Bobby was shorter than Jessica and, uh, Jessica's stepmother is taller than her. I don't know. In my head, it made sense that it wasn't Bobby after seeing that scene anyway. Um, eventually she does try to get out of the house. She is successful in getting out of the house. Unfortunately, just as she steps foot outside, John Carver shows up with the pitchfork and throws it at her like a goddamn Olympian and gets her right in the back, takes her down, and then he drags her back in the house. And then we see, once again, a recreation of one of the scenes from the original trailer where he takes Mrs. Wright and he puts her in the oven with all the garnish and the glaze and everything else and basically cooks her. Uh, There's a little gag here where he puts where he sticks in one of those uh, pop-up indicators to let you know that your turkey's done. And, of course, we get that gag where we see the thing pop up to let him know that Mrs. Wright is done. We get the inevitable dinner scene where our four remaining, well, actually five remaining survivors because it's the four that were at the parade plus one more girl is um, the, the two kids that went missing at the high school um, uh, the chloroform takeouts, if you will, they're still alive and at the dinner table. So there's actually like five or six people alive at the dinner table. But again, we see the top half of the waitress. We see the head from the security guard. Um, 
And uh, basically, he decides to live stream the entire dinner. So we're live streaming this entire thing. We end up getting that gag that where I mentioned earlier, where they're able to triangulate where he's broadcasting from. But then when when the cops get there, it's it's a separate cell phone uh, recording a computer screen. So he's actually at yet another location. So yeah, an, another cell phone gag that we've seen about a dozen times in other movies. We get it here too. Um, and but then as it turns out, John Carver is keeping his victims. At the John Carver house. Where the fuck else would he keep them? Yeah, uh, they're, ba- they're basically the John Carver house is a historical site in the town, so it's protected. And he's basically taking all of his victims to the basement of this place. Um, he starts his live stream. He starts talking about how greedy people are, how cowardly people are, how self-absorbed people are, things like that, blah, blah, blah. And then he and then he talks about um, the football player that's there, whose uh, name I can't seem to remember. Um, and he's the kid who actually shot the main uh, viral footage of the riot that went uh, online. So John Carver starts talking about how this kid is the inspiration for his crimes. You know, you inspired me to do these things. So I'm going to start with you. And then he does, you know, a couple of viral gags like, you know, you're going to break the Internet. And just as he says you're going to break the Internet, he pulls up a giant meat tenderizer, not like a standard size meat tenderizer that we would have in our kitchen at home. No, a goddamn monstrosity meat tenderizer that maybe you would use at like a butcher shop or something. And unceremoniously, he just crushes this kid's head and it looks awesome. We get to see cracked skull, brain matter. It's pretty damn awesome. And he's doing this in front of all his other dinner guests who are conscious. You know, they're all awake and, you know, tied to their chairs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he ends up killing the football player, absolutely just crushing his head on camera. You, they show the gag where they show the cell phone and everybody is like giving the thumbs up and hearting it and everything else. <laughs> Fucking uh, internet culture. Anyway, <clears throat> at this point, he then reveals the Thanksgiving turkey. And just like in the original Thanksgiving trailer, the Thanksgiving turkey is a person in this case, it's Mrs. Wright, who we saw him put in the oven earlier. Um, he continues his spiel about greed and consumption and talks about Mr. Wright being the ultimate consumer. And then he slices a piece of Mrs. Wright, um, a piece of her thigh meat off of her, slices a big chunk of thigh meat off her, and then puts it on Mr. Wright's plate and basically Yum. is... Yeah, oh yeah, he's a, he's literally trying to force Mr. Wright to eat the flesh of his own wife. Who Luckily, like a good thigh, right? Oh yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, hey, the meat actually looks pretty good. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I mean, thick thighs save lives. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so in this one, um, what ends up happening is that earlier in the film, that character McCarty, you know, the gun guy ends up giving um, Jessica a ring. And he he tells Jessica that my father wore this ring in Vietnam and it got him through. Um, what he didn't tell Jessica is that the knife has a small knife that pops out of it. So Jessica literally finds the little knife thing that pops out of it by accident. She starts to cut 
her um, ropes that are um, tying her to the chair. Once she breaks her ropes, she very stealthily hands the ring over to um, Scuba so that he can then cut his ropes. Uh, and, and then eventually when John Carver is like in the middle of one of his uh, stupid spiels, uh, Scuba jumps up out of his chair, you know, not tied to the chair, attacks John Carver. Unfortunately, he's not really able to get the upper hand. We see Scuba and Jessica run out of the room, leaving Mr. Wright and the football player who just got his head crushed, his girlfriend still at the table alive. And uh, basically they're running away from the killer, blah, 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 get, you know, Eventually, they do get away from the killer, um, but what ends up happening is there's a situation where uh, Jessica uh, – I forget exactly how Jessica finds the sheriff's body, but basically we find out that the sheriff has been attacked, and he's lying in the middle of the street, um, still has his gun on him. He's still alive, but he's been knocked out. Uh, Jessica grabs the gun from him to go into the warehouse to go after someone that she saw walk in right after she arrived at the scene. She gets in the warehouse. She's got the sheriff's gun in her hand. And what we see is someone who is dressed as the killer. Perceivably, it's the killer. He takes his mask off and it's Bobby. It's the ex-boyfriend who had his arm broken. But if you watch the scene very carefully, you also see that Bobby has like a hazy look on his face, like he's not really sure what's going on. We'll find out about that later. So at this point now, everyone thinks, you know, because of Jessica, everyone thinks that Bobby is now the killer. So, you know, they're they're trying to they're trying to get Bobby, blah, blah, blah. They end up back at the police station for uh, Jessica to give her statement, her official statement naming Bobby as the John Carver killer. Um, while she's there in the sheriff's office, she eventually remembers a conversation that she had with the sheriff earlier in the film where the sheriff says, um, oh, we'll definitely catch this killer. They always make a mistake. Sometimes it's the smallest, most mundane mistake, but they will always make one and we'll catch them. Just as she remembers this conversation, she looks down at the sheriff's shoes. She notices that the sheriff's shoes have like plant life, like those little, I don't know what those things are called, but it's those little um, kind of star-shaped spiky things that get stuck on your socks and your shoes when you walk through tall grass. Um, earlier in the film, the killer actually does chase Jessica through the woods and she, we see her pulling those things off of her jeans and her shoes. And then, like I said, eventually we see that uh, the sheriff has some on his shoes. And at this point, there's no one else in the station. It's just the sheriff and um, Jessica. And this is where the sheriff's like, oh, man, man, how funny is this? This is like fumbling the football on the one yard line during the Super Bowl. Like, this is, you know, how stupid of me. And he basically makes the admission that, yes, he is the John Carver killer. And why is the sheriff the John Carver killer? Because he was having an affair with Mitch's wife. You remember Mitch's wife was the one who died, who got her head sandwiched in between those two carts during the original riot. And it obviously Mitch, you know, 
was very upset about it. He had no idea about the infidelity. So this is why he was always loyal to his wife, blah, blah, blah. But then we see a series of pictures um, of the sheriff and uh, Mitch's wife together. And then the camera pans down and shows an ultrasound. Yes, Mitch's wife was pregnant with the sheriff's uh, child. And this is why the sheriff has decided to basically go on his rampage because, um, you know, uh, the Wright family, because of them opening on Thanksgiving the year before, cost him his family. Because um, he, he claimed that Mitch's wife was going to be leaving him right after the holidays, and then they were going to run off and start their family somewhere else. But because of the riot, she's killed, and that's the end of their plan, and that's the end of his family, too. How they didn't figure out in the autopsy that Mitch's wife was pregnant is beyond me, but they never really talk about it again. Once Mitch's wife dies, they don't really mention her too much more after that. So so there you go, folks. That's the reveal. The sheriff is the killer. Uh, he was the killer the whole time. He framed Bobby. Basically, he drugged Bobby. The way that he drugged all the other kids so that he could get them to the John Carver house, he drugs Bobby and then puts the, the John Carver outfit on him so that when he woke up, he's wearing this mask and hat and pilgrim hat. It doesn't, and he doesn't understand why, which is why he looked kind of hazy in that one scene when Jessica uh, quote-unquote, caught him taking his mask off. So there's our explanation. At that point, Jessica stops the sheriff and says, and, and this, is, um, this is in reference to the dinner scene earlier where John Carver says that he's going to pan the camera around and he's going to have everybody say what they're thankful for. Obviously, no one ever gets a chance to speak before the killing starts. But then Jessica, just as the sheriff is like, well, now, you know, he, he, we see the sheriff put his gloves on and he's basically talking about, well, you're never going to leave this police station alive, blah, blah, blah. And then she stops him just as she's as he's about to get up to kill her and says, you never gave me a chance to tell you what I was thankful for. And he says, OK, fine. What? What are you thankful for? And then she says, I'm thankful for the reception in this room. And she pulls up Bobby's phone, which was in a plastic bag as evidence on the sheriff's um, on the sheriff's desk. Apparently, she picked up Bobby's phone, opened up his Facebook or Instagram, wherever he live streams and just started a live stream just as the sheriff was making his admission. And we see that there's a bunch of people watching the, the fake stream and they're, they're throwing like thumb downs and, and, you know, uh, tongue sticking out emojis and things like that. So he literally just admitted his crimes on the internet in front of a fairly large audience. Cause don't forget Bobby was like a superstar pitcher in this community. So you got to figure he had a lot of followers. And as soon as his account goes live on his social media, I would imagine a lot of his followers are going to tune in right away. So, yeah, so the sheriff has now outed himself on the Internet. He ends up trying to attack uh, Jessica. At that moment, Bobby shows up and smashes. He throws like a hammer through the window, which ends up hitting the sheriff and incapacitating him very, very briefly. They end up running away. And we see that they were they were never at the police station. They were at the warehouse where they were making um, the floats, the, the Thanksgiving floats. At that, at that point, 
Uh, Jessica and Bobby are running away. We get the kind of cat and mouse chase throughout the warehouse. At one point, Jessica notices a, fl- uh, a tank of flammable gas that's connected to one of the floats, and she turns it on. Um, it's connected to, to an inflatable turkey, basically, that's um, there in the warehouse from the, the day before's Thanksgiving parade. And basically, you know, Bobby and Jessica try to get out. Uh, the sheriff keeps thwarting their escape attempts. And eventually the sheriff thinks that he's got them cornered. He's got his gun. It's cocked. It's ready to go. He basically pulls up the gun and aims at Jessica. But earlier in the film, we there was like a throwaway conversation where Jessica talked about how her father forced her to learn how to load and fire a musket for a commercial that they were having. And of course, that's a foreshadow because then um, when she's in the back of McCarty's truck, that blunderbuss is still back there. If you, if you guys don't know, the blunderbuss is is the name of that kind of pirate style shotgun that just, you know, it's a, it's a spreading weapon. So it spreads pellets all over very much like a modern 12 gauge. Um, she basically loads the blunder, uh, the blunderbuss and she goes to sh- – to, and she points it at the sheriff as he's walking towards her. He knows that that's just a blunderbuss that's really not going to do that much damage to him. So he kind of smiles and continues walking forward. As he continues walking forward, suddenly Jessica tilts the gun up above the sheriff's head. And the sheriff looks behind him and realizes that the turkey behind him has been getting inflated with flammable gas this whole time. Jessica pulls the trigger, shoots the turkey, massive explosion. We see the sheriff's body get kind of thrown off to the side of the warehouse. And that's the end of that. Um, A little bit later on, we see the police at the scene. And we see... Like, uh, we see some firefighters there, and they inform the police that they did not find the sheriff's body, but the firemen are convinced that because of that blast and the intense heat, that everything was probably turned into ash, so there's probably not anything left of the body anyway, which anybody who's ever watched a true crime show knows that's bullshit. Teeth almost always survive. Um, But that's, again, discussion for another podcast. The point is, we don't get to really see the sheriff die. We see him in the explosion. We see his body get thrown off to the side, and then that's it. It's just assumed that he died. Um, So then we get our final scene. It's It's either later that night or another day later on down the line. We see Jessica in bed with her current boyfriend. She did not get back together with Bobby. You know, even though Bobby did kind of save her, say, well, not kind of, he totally saved her ass. Um, but she still doesn't decide to break up with her current boyfriend to go back to Bobby because he ghosted her a year earlier, blah, 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 blah. Um, but like I said, uh, they, we see them in bed. They're napping. I don't know if it's post-coitus or whatever, but they're lying in bed asleep. And Jessica hears something in her closet, her walk-in closet. She gets up, turns on the light in the closet, realizes there's nothing in there, decides, okay, there's nothing in there. She turns the light off and goes to walk out of the closet and out jumps a flaming sheriff. Like it's the sheriff completely engulfed in flame, basically embraces Jessica and pulls her back into the closet 
But then, of course, Jessica and um, her boyfriend wake up in bed. It was just a dream. And that's the end of our film, except for one little extra little piece that we get after the credits. Now, this isn't a true post-credit scene. It's literally just a single blooper. Um, earlier in the film, there's a scene where um, Jessica's father apologizes to her for rushing into a marriage, uh, rushing into another marriage after Jessica's mother had died. Um, but I guess in this particular one, he fucked up. He snubbed his line. And then he just looks at the camera and gives the middle finger, and that's that's pretty much it. So the post-credit is just a blooper. It's not vital by any stretch. It has no bearing on the movie. Just maybe adds a little bit of comedy to kind of finish out the movie. But there it is, folks. That was a kind of a long walkthrough, but again, mm-hmm. I watched this movie twice uh, in the last two days. You know, uh, I've watched it twice consecutively. And it's really, really left an impression on me. Both the kills, the performances, um, just as it's left a major impression on me. So, yeah, I apologize. This walkthrough was a little bit longer than standard. With all the fixins. <laughs> <laughs> I even gave you dessert with a little blooper at the end. So, there. That, that's your slice of pumpkin pie at the end. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Thanksgiving. It's a it's a fun slasher. Like I think any fans of the slasher movies shouldn't be disappointed with this. Absolutely, this is in my opinion, this is a great slasher. It's a great you know kind of teen oriented murder mystery. You know, like a scream, like an I know what you did last summer. Um, the, is the story original? No, not at all. It's a very uh, derivative, you know, pedantic story that we've seen before. We're going to see it again countless times moving forward. But for whatever it's worth, Eli Roth was able to take a very basic concept and turn it into a rather enjoyable film. You know, I've yet to hear a bad review for this movie. I I have heard people that don't praise it the way, you know, maybe me and Don are, but um, I have not heard a full-on negative review um, so that's pretty good. I'm not saying that this movie's universally loved necessarily. I'm sure there's people out there that hated it. There always are. <laughs> uh, but I haven't run into any negative reviews yet. And the movie is sitting on, what, a 7.1 on IMDb right now, which is pretty damn good for a theatrical horror movie, I must say. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get out of here, It's a Wonderful Knife, Venom. What did you think? What can you remember? All right. Well, I remember the whole thing and how frustrated I was walking out of the theater. This was a movie that's the complete opposite of Thanksgiving in the sense that Thanksgiving took a very derivative story that we've seen before, but executed it expertly. This movie actually had kind of an original story where they took the concept of It's a Wonderful Life, the, you know, the, the Jimmy Stewart classic that most of us watch every Christmas and they turned it into a slasher. Um, so that was cool. Like, I, I was on board for this movie for most of the first two acts. But then during the third act, there's this weird supernatural element that's introduced to the movie that makes no fucking sense to me. There's no explanation for it. Just this entire town, for some reason, are zombies and oblivious to the things that the mayor does. The mayor played by Justin Long, who I already am not a big fan of. So, yeah, that that doesn't help. Though I will say Justin Long plays a great piece of shit. 
He literally is one of the best modern piece of shit uh, portrayers out there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's kind of like his best uh, attribute is he's a it's, great piece of shit without absolutely. even trying. <laughs> yep, no, it's true. It's almost like it's just his natural personality. He comes off as so douchey. I'm not saying he actually is in real life. I've never met the oh, man. He might, be, he might be a lovely person. I don't know. All I'm saying is based on his <laughs> uh, theatrical performances – he is a classic piece of shit, and yeah, I think I, he knows it. <laughs> I, I feel like at this point, whenever there's a horror movie that he shows up in, regardless of like what you might think of his character to start out, he's always going to have that douche-tastic twist. Exactly. Or turn, or turn, I mean. No, no, definitely. I mean, and, and that's one of the things that's keeping me from watching that new Goosebumps series is just the fact that he's the star. You know, I, I I was a mild fan of Goosebumps. Obviously, I was in my 20s when Goosebumps had its heyday on television. But I still, you know, it, it had dark enough content that, you know, I, in the middle of a weekday afternoon, there probably wasn't anything better to watch for somebody like me than Goosebumps. So I do consider myself a mild fan of Goosebumps, but I just can't bring myself to watch that new series. I, I'm waiting for someone to tell me that it's a must watch. And if somebody tells me that, I'll give it a shot, but if if I've yet to hear a ringing endorsement for that new Goosebumps series, so I'm going to leave it alone until somebody tells me I really need to see it. Oh, Justin Long, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm about the same as you. I, I thought conceptually it was cool, um, the first couple acts, but the third act kind of was inconsistent up and down and kind of took the movie down the supernatural aspect was kind of thrown in there with little to no heads up and it kind of discompobulated everything that was going on um you know it i was looking forward to it because you know when we uh, planning for the original episode i I was kind of going to say my spiel was like the, the difference to me with halloween holiday or like the holiday of halloween and christmas is Especially growing up, like, I would watch anything Halloween thing pretty much any time of the year. But when it came to Christmas, for some reason, it's Christmas content I almost exclusively watch during, like, this time of the year. So I was, like, looking forward to it. And, like, every year, whatever is kind of new. So going into it, I was, like, excited to see what the new Christmas horror movie was all about. It it was okay. Um, I think there's people that will like it more than I did, but I, I, you know, I, I thought it was kind of a mixed bag. Well, good enough for me. I don't need to watch it. (laughs) What about you, Don? Yeah, I probably liked it the most out of the three of us. Um, I, I love the first two acts. Uh, I I think they're, they're a lot of fun, great setup, great twist. Um, you know, how she gets involved in this alternate dimension. Um, you know, it, it, it's established pretty well how that comes about. Stalking scenes are fantastic. Love the kills. Uh, there's some fun stuff there. Yeah, it's just that third act. Um, I don't know what they were doing there, but yeah, that, that kind of just throws the, the whole tone of the film off. The final confrontation is just rushed beyond belief. Uh, it, it takes like what should have been this big, grand, overarching scheme of how she's able to, you know, carry out her mission and then get back to her own timeline. Um, you know, all of the revelations of that are just thrown at you quickly. 
the you know reveal of the killer and all of that is uh, handled just incredibly quickly, and it just zooms by at everything just to you know maybe hit this like predetermined running time that it wanted. But yeah, the third act was to me the the main drawback to it. Um, and I, I mean, it, it, I'm probably like the one that likes it the most, but yeah, I agree that third act is the where the film kind of falls falls a little flat, but. I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, the first two thirds are a lot of fun. I really liked it, and there, there's some good stuff there. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you guys. The third act is where it uh, tends to have its main issues. Yeah, I would say if you're really jonesing for like a Christmas theme, like a new something new uh, Christmas theme, go ahead and check it out. Um, I think Dawn, before we recorded, you mentioned it's hitting Shutter at the beginning. Of the right. Yeah. It's. Yeah, it's uh, December 1st, I think. Okay, yeah, so we're like, what, just over a week from that happening? Yeah, so. it's, yeah, it's uh, next week, actually, yeah. Or at least the next week as we're recording this, because we're yeah. recording it Monday before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, it's going to hit um, Shutter the Friday after Black Friday. Okay, yeah. So I, I don't think... This is like a case where I don't think you'd miss a whole lot by watching it on Shutter instead of theater. Um, so yeah, it's definitely more in line with what um, Shutter's been releasing this year. Yeah, and with the holiday season, sometimes there's a bunch of release—not necessarily new horror releases—but they usually start releasing all like a lot of Oscar bait movies. So I could see it like exiting the theater quick too. So. Uh, once it hits Shutter, people can check it out there for sure. Cool. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up um, for this episode. But uh, let's see if we have anything new out there for people to listen to. So, Venom, do you got anything? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, literally to the day. Um, the new episode of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. That's going to be episode number 20. I know I've been announcing it as episode 19 for like the last month. Um, please forgive me. I just had forgotten. It, it's been a while. It's been almost two months since we recorded an episode, and I just had completely forgotten about what the number of the last episode was. So the new episode is episode 20. Uh, we take a look at 1975's The Giant Spider Invasion, starring Alan Hale and um, John Easton. Pretty fun movie. Uh, it's a, it'll be a quick listen. I think the episode only clocked in at about 50 minutes, uh, so check that out. We also give our final thoughts on the new Godzilla movie, Godzilla Minus One. At the end of that episode, I, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. We did announce that Godzilla Minus One will be our episode for December. That's kind of a no, That's kind of a given. I mean, it, it's it's the first new Godzilla Toho Godzilla film in American theaters since 2016, since Shin Godzilla. So obviously for folks like us with a creature feature podcast, this is like Christmas to us. This is huge. I, I already talked about on the episode how I'm going to see it multiple times the opening weekend, minimum three times. By the time we review it on Creature Comforts, I got a feeling I will have seen it a few more times than that even. So, yeah, um, look out for that. I, I submitted the episode today. I, in a perfect world, as you listen to this episode, Creature Comforts would be available, but I don't know when our network head will get around to uploading the episode. So 
if it's not up yet, you know, check in the next day or two, and it will definitely be there. And or subscribe to the subscribe to the channel. You'll be able to find it that easier. Yeah, yeah, you'll get all the side casts if you subscribe to No More Room in Hell. You'll get all the fresh cuts and the creature comforts and everything else. So, yeah, just uh, do that. Do what Don said. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much it for me. Um, I didn't. I, I don't have any guest spots to my knowledge coming up. Other, I know we all have a cut to the chase makeup appearance that we're all going to get in December to make up for the fact that we missed out on our October episodes, but. Um, that's pretty much all I've got lined up. Look out for another episode of the main show. Um, I would imagine at least one episode of the main show before the year is over, maybe two, who knows? We might do another Christmas special this year. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. Not a whole lot going on at the end of 2023, just watching a lot of movies, trying to catch up to everything that I missed in October. Cause in October I was really only watching my favorite classic horror films. So I missed out on a lot of new stuff like the new hell house movie, um, which I did finally watch and I highly recommend. I feel like it's a return to form for the franchise. So if you haven't seen it, check that out. Oh, and yeah. I agree. Yeah. It might be my second favorite of the franchise. Same, same with the, uh, right behind the original. Yeah. Right behind yep, the original. Yep. Absolutely. Great return to form for that franchise. And then, you know, caught up with a bunch of other stuff that I missed in October as well. So, that's really all I'm doing right now is just getting as many 2023 watches in before we have to start with our rewatches to start working on our top 10 list. So, yeah, it's not a whole lot going on the rest of the year other than top 10 prep. Otherwise, that's it for me, folks. All right. How about you, Dom? Yeah, not much. Um, basically, the uh, No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts, which, uh, like he said, should be available. Um, we're definitely looking forward to uh, the upcoming uh, episode more than this one. But uh, yeah. if, you're, if you're inclined to check out a um, what was supposedly crappy creature feature from the 70s that I think all of us ended up liking more than we thought it would, um, go ahead and give that one a listen. Uh, yeah, um, we're waiting on uh, Cut to the Chase, which um, she hasn't contacted you guys for any potential dates or anything, right? I think there's just, she's no. supposed to wait until December to start that, or is I she th- waiting? I think they're going to contact us after Thanksgiving. Yeah, okay, uh, I, I couldn't remember if it was, I it was, okay. But, uh, yeah, um, I mean, season two of Horror Countdown, uh, should be starting up season three sooner rather than later. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all for me. Just, uh, you know, waiting around for uh, everything to drop. Okay. Um, as far as I go, yeah, pretty uh, barren for me other than our stuff. It's it's kind of busy around holidays for me with family stuff. So, um like I said, I think I'll be doing um, a makeup episode with Cut to the Chase as well for the holidays, so that'll be coming sometime in the near future. Other than that, yeah, just uh, stick around for more episodes of Fresh Cuts, although we are getting close to that time of the year where we usually take, like, a, it's usually like a couple weeks in December off to do, like, last-minute prep for our top ten so that's rapidly approaching, actually. <laughs> this end of the year is coming like quick. 
But uh, so we'll probably still have a what a handful, maybe a little less than a handful of episodes of Fresh Cuts this calendar year, and then we'll uh, take a couple off and uh, top ten. I mean, wow, it's coming up. So, <laughs> and then we'll get the new episode of No More Room and Hell the Main Show scheduled. Uh, just busy time in the holidays, so it it's a little harder just because of. The show being longer, it takes a little more to get it scheduled, but uh, that'll be coming in the horizon as well. And then who knows what 2024 has in store, but that's uh, getting a little ahead of myself there. But uh, anyways, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. We'll be back with something this coming up week, probably no wide release in the theater, so we will find something on VOD. There's a huge stockpile at this point since we've been into the, to the theater a lot lately. So we'll figure it out and be back in a week's time with uh, another episode of Fresh Cuts. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Let's say goodbye to the listeners. <laughs> if you work in retail, refuse to work on Thanksgiving. Take this movie as a cautionary tale. Just don't work on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, go spend time with your family. There you go.